0: What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome back to episode three of the Dropping to Paradigms podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Tori Donato, joined by my other co-host. Hey, what's up, everybody? Heath Hunter here, and
1: uh, we're ready to get into some Jurassic Park.
0: Jurassic Park, the original. So we're we're uh, we're keeping it pretty old school here. Uh, we did Sandlot episode two. Uh, we're going to stay in 1993. I mean, and is there a better year? I don't know that there is. <laughs>
1: All right, man. So uh, I went back to IMDb again because we learned so much from IMDb's, uh, like, I guess, uh, synopsis of what the Sandlot was about. Uh, So here is what they say about Jurassic Park. All right. A pragmatic paleontologist visiting an almost complete theme park is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causes the park's cloned dinosaurs to run loose. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, wow, that's a terrible that's a terrible synopsis. I would not necessarily call Jurassic Park a theme park. Uh, I mean, he, he, they do
1: say like in the movie they talk about how they have all of the issues of a theme park and a zoo, so I think they consider it a theme park. But like, it just sells so much of the movie short just by like oh, that man. small little. Yeah, census. for it to be
0: like the number one grossing movie in the world, that is a terrible. Oh, so massive. you you
1: say that right? The yeah. Film grossed nine hundred and fourteen million in its initial release, making it the first ever film to gross over nine hundred million.
0: Damn. Do you know what movie it surpassed? Ooh, what movie did it surpass? Uh, let's see, ninety three. 93. So it's gotta be older than 93. Gotta be older than 93. Um, oh man, it was. In I was. I was a young kid. I was like, I was probably still in diapers at this point. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing.
1: Would you like to phone home and ask someone? E.T.
0: It was E.T. Really? Yep. Yep. Wow. Uh,
1: but here, here's another bonus question for you. 1997, a movie surpassed. Jurassic Park, and earned the for the first time over a billion dollars in gross, uh, like grossing. Do you know what that movie was?
0: Independence Day. Uh,
1: Great movie. Uh, One will definitely have to cover. Oh, it wasn't Independence Day.
0: I was so sure about that one. (laughs) I was so confident in that answer.
1: No, uh, you've probably seen this movie. You. If I told you, maybe if you watched it, you might be king of the world. Uh, You might have someone draw you like one of the French girls. (laughs) Nope, I'm breaking it. A ship Uh, that went down. Oh, the Titanic. The Titanic. Oh, okay, that's it. You've never heard the, like, I'm king of the world? Uh, The iconic scene. It's been so long since I've watched Titanic.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's just been so long since I've watched it. And the scene that always sticks out into my head is how Rose didn't move over for him to, like, stay on the log or whatever when they're drowning.
1: On the door. There was plenty of room for Jack on the door. Oh, yeah. Plenty of room. (laughs) She (laughs) could have saved him. Sorry. Yeah, but not to be outdone, though. So Jurassic Park was not done and would eventually surpass... Uh, the Titanic and re-released in 2013 to get over that one billion gross mark.
0: Okay, and that was the Jurassic World. No, this is just oh.
1: this is just Jurassic Park. They, just re-released the yeah. original movie. Yep. So, oh, okay. T- ten years or uh, sorry, twenty years later, re-released that same movie is like a big th- like, like back in theaters oh, okay. twenty years later.
0: The remastered version of Jurassic Park. You know how they do the Disney movies where they remaster it. And they're showing the commercial, and it doesn't actually look like it's remastered at all. It just looks like they brighten the colors a wee bit. Remastered. I guess.
1: <laughs> Whatever gets you that money, man. Yeah. So, all right. So, we got a little bit of the money. Now, this is what I found uh, interesting. So, when I was doing some research, learning about Jurassic Park, there is still a Jurassic Park fandom page. Wow. It's, it's like legit, kind of like an offshoot of Wiki bunch of things on there but what i found was the tagline of the movie
0: the movie had a tagline
1: it has a tagline it was on the movie posters and i believe it was even when they walk in like the big opening like atrium uh, area i think it's up on one of the posters so i got multiple choice because i it was way too difficult to try and figure it out so a was the tagline taking amusement parks to the next level B, an adventure 65 million years in the making, or C, when dinosaurs rule the
0: earth. Okay, A is I think probably way too cheesy. A is for sure in the trash. I like an adventure 65 million years in the making, but I almost feel like that one's too good of a tagline, and probably not like John Hammond's type of type of feel. So. I'm going to go with C. When dinosaurs ruled the earth. Ah, Dang it.
1: it. Uh, So let me just say, I I thank you for thinking that I would be able to make up an amazing tagline that was better than what they would make up for the movie themselves. But no, it was an adventure 65 million years in the making. So it was B. Uh, The other two I made up myself, which is why you automatically (laughs) threw A out the window. Of course I did. Of course. But whatever. Uh, Alright, man. So, like, as I was also kind of researching I uh, and watching the movie, like, I, I stopped to think about, you know, like, Jurassic Park was really one of the first big movies to, like, reinvent CGI. Yeah. Which, like, even looking back now, like, you can tell some things are CGI, but they do some things really, really well. So, if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend going back and watching. I think it holds up pretty well.
0: I think it does, too. And... I would argue that it's probably the original CGI. I think is even is actually better quality than like the the number two and the number three movies, which is kind of weird to me because you would think the sequel and then whatever is the right word for after a sequel, trilogy, the trilogy, yeah, uh, the trilogy CGI would be better. But to me, the original Jurassic Park CGI holds better than, than the sequel and, and, the, and the trilogy. Yeah, yeah so, I, I thought it was good. Yeah. And then
1: the last thing before we bring this up, so I think on episode one, we talked about music. Yeah. And we talked about how music can change a mood. I met, Like you mentioned, you know, listening to music in the car and moving to music without words. Yep. I mentioned, like, if you're studying, writing a paper, using movie scores, Jurassic Park has one of the best movie scores. Oh, yeah. And it's John Williams. If you don't know who John Williams is, like – He's done Star Wars, Superman, Jurassic Park. Uh, I mean, he, he is, like, the go-to for a lot of your big-budget, like, blockbuster, especially sci-fi uh, type movies. So, if you need to go, you know, find a Spotify or iTunes uh, playlist, John Williams compositions are, are definitely right up there.
0: John Williams. I'm going to remember that one. Han, Hans Zimmer is another good one. I, I, I was going to say Hans Zimmer, but... Uh... Yeah, that's like one of the all time. When you hear that, da, 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 like everybody knows exactly what yep. that's from. Yep.
1: Well, and th- and that's what I like I think he has so many iconic, like Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, you know, Vader's Death March, like so many, so many good ones. Superman, yeah. so many good ones. Good stuff. So, all right. So let's kind of move in opening scenes. Like I have so many questions. All right. About like, what are these people thinking? Yeah. First of all, one more question, like, kind of for you. I you don't won't have an answer, but like, how much money would it take you to have to work at this park and just be given like the I don't know the stun gun thing that they have to work around the oh, or Blasteraptor? Oh, Velociraptor.
0: I would need to make like a million dollars a day. <laughs> Those people are crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Okay, hey, we're going to bring you to this park. We're, we might not even tell you what is at this park, but we need to just sign this waiver because it could be dangerous and you could die. Don't worry about that. It's fine print. We're going to bring you to this park, and the opening scene is we're going to watch something because we don't really know what it is. I mean, obviously the viewers know it's a dinosaur, but had you not seen the cover of the movie or had the background and you were just somebody coming in cold, like, what is this thing in the cage?
1: Yeah. It's yeah. nuts. And I had, like, one dude, his entire job was just to raise the gate. Yeah. And then he's the one that gets eaten.
0: Yeah, the guy that had the one job. <laughs> dude, you had one job, and you couldn't even raise the gate the right way. And then the dude's like, shoot her! Shoot her! <laughs> <laughs> how, much, how much would you have uh, to make to do that? Th- th- probably no amount of money. Yeah.
1: It's... I, I can think of, I, I don't know, like, i rather, yeah, just give me a fast food restaurant job yeah. where I don't have to worry about getting eaten by dinosaurs. No yeah. way. And, but with that, like why? Okay. So you're making a theme park with dinosaurs. Like, why not just like get the herbivores? Yeah. Why, why do you have to make it Tyrannosaurus Rex?
0: There's and, no reason.
1: And a velociraptor.
0: Like, it probably could have went off without a hitch if they just had the herbivores. Like people might've paid to actually come to see the herbivores and know like okay these things aren't going to eat me maybe they'll step on me if i get too close but they're not going to eat me like
1: yeah yeah i i just like there's so many things as i'm watching this movie like let's be honest i would totally go like if this existed and this was a real thing i would go 100 percent like yeah. i want to see these dinosaurs i want to see this but uh yeah i, I don't think i don't want to be the first people like testing no. out whether or not it
0: no, no. Like, here, here's the other question, too. Like, he brings his grandchildren there. John Hammond brings his grandchildren there. Do they know that they're going to see real-life dinosaurs, or is this a surprise?
1: No, they had to know because uh, Homeboy, like, came in spouting every single fact about oh, dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, No, no, that's true. And, that's true. And talking about, uh, what's his name?
0: Uh, Dr. Grant. Yeah, Dr. Grant. Yeah.
1: Like, I read your book. Yeah. This other guy, he's got a book that's bigger than yours. Yeah. And he had this theory. So... That was pretty interesting. That's true. But, all right, man. Enough about the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll we'll get into a little bit more of kind of what's going on, but let's go ahead and uh, flip the script and drop that first time.
0: Let's do it, man. Uh, Okay, so this is a little bit into the movie now. You know, Dr. Hammond has convinced Dr. Grant and uh, I forget his girlfriend's name, uh... I always forget her name, but the 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 paleontologist or... Uh, if
1: only I had a Jurassic Park fandom page. I mean, sorry, if only our <laughs> crack, crack uh, uh, team could get on this and figure out her name as you're talking. The so team talking. that we
0: spent tens of dollars on. So as, as uh, they arrive to Isla Nublar off the coast of Costa Rica to Jurassic Park, immediately when you get there, there's this banners and cars that have the logo plastered on them and they're brightly colored and then you walk in and everything is color coordinated and matching and all that sort of stuff and even you know uh dr john hammond has this little tour thing you know where where they're looking at how how the dinosaurs are made and dino dna and all that (laughs) stuff uh and he's talking to himself and so there's like so much work's put into just the aesthetics of the park. And, you know, John Hammond, of course, quotes several times, Spare no expense. We Spare no expense. So <laughs> I thought about that and it made me think about brand identity and how some people would argue that brand identity is one of the most important things that you have to have when you are setting a culture or when you're setting out to do anything, really, you know people will go as far as to say that you yourself are a brand. Um, how you carry yourself, the way you interact with people, um, what your name represents when people hear it, you're, you're a brand all your own. Uh, some people would argue it's not really that big of a deal. So it got me thinking about that. And so uh, my, my dime is really more of a question to you. And the question is... Uh, Does brand identity matter when it comes to creating a culture?
1: Yeah. uh, Great question. Before I answer that, though, her name is Ellie Sattler. Sattler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So thank you to our research team. Uh, Great job again, guys. Thanks, research team. Uh, So, dude, great question. And I'm one of those people that I believe if you're going to build a culture – you're going to build anything, you need to have a brand. Okay. And to me, that brand uh, can, should and um, will benefit from being built around your why. So if, if you, as you're building that brand, as you're building that company, you're building the culture, the team, if you can identify your why and then brand off of that and use that why in pretty much everything that you do, think it it benefits you it benefits your team and it keeps people grounded in what your purpose is okay and like so when i think about the jurassic park right like everything was brightly colored but gave that um explorer that um Safari, you know, the kind of the theme and the idea of what Dr. Hammond wanted people to feel when they were inside of that. And to me, when you're building that brand and you're building those things, that's what you're doing for your culture. You're trying to build those things that make people want to be part of that and to make people um, excited about being part of that. So I look at like you look at social media, you look at college football teams and you look at how they uh, talk to their recruits, all of their recruits, there's always a hashtag that is their like tagline for that recruiting class. Yeah. Um, You know, if you read Simon Sinek's start with why book, like he points back to Apple and Apple's never really said what they do. Like they don't make computers, right? They like, they want to be the best in, in technology and reinvent kind of what's going on. So I think like, if you build that brand around what you want people to feel, what you want people to think and what you want people to um, remember about what you do about the culture, I think it it really benefits. And, and two, like with that branding, you know, how many times will people do something for a free t-shirt or a free pin or True. a free like bag, right? Like if you've ever been to like a farmer's market yeah. or, you know, any, any fair or anything, everyone's always giving stuff out. And a lot of that is for marketing. Like, Hey, we just need to get our name out. But like people just, they rally behind that stuff. They want that, that gift and that idea. And so if you're building your culture and building your brand, if there's part of that that you can give to your people, that can be theirs Is their part of your culture. I think that really benefits. So like you see it in the military with like military patches. Yeah. You see it also like, um, like with fire departments okay. and yeah, yeah. a lot of the firefighters like all have their uh, firehouse numbers on their shirts and they wear them out. And, you know, even when they, when they sell them, those are the things that people, you know, kind of are uh, drawn to.
0: Yeah. No, I, I like that and I tend to agree. Um, I think one of the interesting things too is when you look at brand identity, how that brand identity is generated varies upon what the, the identity is being built around. So, so for example, if, if you're building for, for Jurassic world, you know you're building the entire culture and the entire brand identity around these dinosaurs and the experience. Uh, people coming to see you know in a uh, an adventure 65 million years in the making uh, it's, it's it's all built around that so to your point you know the the bright coloring the safari type vehicles you know all the all the stickers that have these skeletons of dinosaurs and all that sort of stuff feeds into the brand but I think it's different if the brand is built around a person or 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 maybe the person is is the brand if you look at you know some uh, some of the big name athletes you know that have all these endorsement deals, uh, we'll just say Michael Jordan. You know, I, I had this I had this conversation with a friend of mine uh, several years ago about whether or not is are are Jordan shoes the brand or is Michael Jordan the brand. And his argument was that the shoes are the brand. Doesn't matter if kids ever ever watched him play. They wear the shoes because the shoes represent something and the shoes look nice or whatever the case is. My argument was that, no, 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 no. The shoes have nothing to do with it. There was a time when Michael Jordan was selling cologne and people were buying cologne, Michael Jordan cologne. I know because I had Michael Jordan cologne.
1: Uh, I did as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, no shame. No yeah, shame. No shame. No
0: judgment. I mean, it wasn't the best smelling cologne, but it was it was cologne and it was by Michael Jordan, so you bought it. I mean, it was uh, either that or Tommy Hilfiger. True. Uh, but – my argument was that the person is the brand. And so when you're when when you're building that brand identity, it's important to kind of differentiate between is this brand identity centered around the person or is it centered around the organization? Right? Because you can never have in the military, for example, you can never have a brand, a a, a military brand built around a single person. Now we've got some we there's traditions and all on all sorts of other things, but um, it, yeah, and yeah, I, it just yeah. doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah. So, how old was the person you were talking to that you asked that question to about the Jordan shoes? My age.
0: Yeah. Because so,
1: I would almost argue that originally, the shoes were built around the Jordan brand and him being the brand. I think now the, sh- the shoes have actually surpassed him. And like, there are probably people that we could probably go out to the street right now and find wearing a pair of Jordans. And they might, they probably know he plays basketball just from the, the, the logo, but probably don't know anything about him. Yeah. And so I that's, think that that's an interesting one. And like, you also made me think of uh, so the Kobe's. Yeah. So Vanessa his wife just uh, is no longer going to have a deal with Nike for the Mamba brand. And some of what has been said is because she wants, like she's upset at Nike for not having enough shoes available and for their pricing of those shoes so that people can't get them. And then it also kind of mentioned that she wanted to be able to – expand the brand and start to bring in some of the uh like the girls shoes, the women's shoes in honor of Gigi as well. So I think I think that's an interesting one where I think, like I said originally I think Jordan and now you've got Kobe, you're gonna see the same thing because Kobe's were not as sought after like after his death, like now you see all the players yeah. like, jumping back on and wearing the shoes. And I think a lot of that is kind of honor him. But at some point, it's going to be also about the street cred that you get from, you know, wearing
0: those. True, shoes. true. Uh, follow-up question for this on this whole concept of or this whole topic of brand brand identity. Is it more important what the brand means to you? Or what the brand means to your target audience?
1: So I think that's an interesting question. And I think that's twofold. Are you building a brand to market? Or are you building a brand to build the culture inside your... um, Whatever your role is. Your job. Your um, company. Because I think... If if you're doing it to market things, then I think... It's important to go after who your target audience is. If you're building a culture, to, uh, and you want to have a brand kind of for your culture and kind of the calling card of your culture, then I think it's important that you meet the people that are inside that culture and that they get it and they understand it. And kind of my example, so the, uh, and I, I want to, we're probably going to talk a lot about these guys. I don't know if you know anything about them, but there's quite a few good documentaries, the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team. Okay. Yeah. So they are the winningest professional sports team of all time, and one of their like their brand identity right is the literally the All Blacks rugby shirt. Yeah. You wear you wear anything that says All Blacks, it's got the I don't know what kind of feather it is, but it's got like a feather uh, as well, and like everyone that knows anything about rugby or anything about you know uh, the All Blacks like immediately they know it. They know why you're wearing it, but one of the brand kind of identity things that they have for their culture is this understanding of sweep the shed. Okay. And what this means, so they call their locker room their shed. And after they had some initial troubles, uh, after losing at a World Cup and not quite performing to where they needed to be, coach got fired. And kind of the captains of the team stepped up and started to build a culture kind of within. They got a new coach who kind of helped as well. But one of the places that they started was by sweeping the shed. And so they have this motto, this brand, within their culture of sweeping the shed. So they will always clean out their locker room after every practice. And then on the road, when they go to another uh, opposing team's locker room, they will clean it. And I, and I don't mean just, like, pick up stuff. Like I mean physically, like, Vacuum, sweep, like clean the locker room. It is cleaner after they leave than it was when they got there, and so, like now because of their culture and people kind of understanding about them, you could probably sell a T-shirt that says "Sweep the Shed." Yeah, but that's not that's not how the All Blacks are going to market themselves. Okay, they're going to market themselves as the winningest rugby team. You want to wear this jersey because you want to show. That you're a winner. That you back a winner. Yeah. But inside their culture, it's about sweeping the shed. And, Ooh, I like and that. You sweep the shed in order to win the games, because you got to build that culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Two two different messages there about brand identity. It's 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 the message that you tell yourself, and the message that you're telling everyone else. Or we'll say the story you tell yourself and the story you tell everyone else. And um, I I, I I think maybe both are just as important Absolutely. Um, yeah. you, because the story that, that you tell yourself to sweep the shed is this is what I am about. This is what we are about. This is, this is how we are going to conduct ourselves and going to carry ourselves because every single player on that all blacks rugby team carries with them the brand for the team. Doesn't matter, you know, if they're the, they're the star player or, or the player that Harley plays they're on the team they carry that brand.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And because of that, they all have to accept and buy into the, the, the culture that's associated with that brand. This is who we are, this is what our brand represents. And because you're a part of this brand, this is what you represent. And that's what you tell yourself within the confines of, of your team and your culture. And then there's also, like you said, what you tell everybody else. Hey, we're the winningness the 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 winning winningest rugby team. <laughs> Ever. You know, you want to be associated with us because we're winners and you want to associate yourself with winners or whatever the case is. Um, I think it'd be interesting to go around and talking to people about just different brands, you know, brand hats that they're wearing, brand name shirts, shoes, whatever the case is, and say, hey, I see you're wearing, you're, you're wearing polo by Ralph Lauren. What does that brand represent to you? What does it mean to you to wear that shirt? Or those of you who are wearing these these you know space jam Jordans what is what does the Jordan brand mean to you I think that'd be that'd be an interesting like kind of social experiment to do to see what they say and then like go back and and research these companies and see what what they say their brand is and what they represent like on their websites or whatever the case is
1: yeah I mean, that's very interesting. The Jordan 11s are the best Jordans. By far. You talk about Space Jam Jordans. By far. The color combo is good. The Concords are the best. Yes. But, uh, no, I I think that's interesting in... And it kind of like... As you wear the brand, as you wear things that identify you as part of a culture, you know, people see you in that light, right? Like... We've gone through this, you know, I think within our country, we talk about, you know, skin color. We talk about tattoos. Like, you mm-hmm. want to talk about something that has completely done a 180 in society? Like, tattoos used to only be, you know, thought of if you had a bunch of tattoos, you probably in prison True. or a motorcycle gang. Yeah, for sure. And, and now, ev- like, business men and women have tons of tattoos I mean how many tattoos do you yeah have?
0: I've got uh, six or seven yeah and wanting to get more
1: yeah and like so, but nowadays like it's changed right like the culture behind it yeah uh, so I think that's that's an interesting point point. and then one other it's probably we probably can't dive into it today but I think when we talk about brand like you talk about your family name yes and you know our family name I think used to be a lot more important than it is you know now. Uh, but that might be an interesting one to kind of talk about later. That would be a good one. That would be a good as one. As your personal brand yeah. and your family brand, you know, what kind of what do you uh, bring forward? Yeah, we
0: could dive pretty deep into that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, with that though, like, kind of moving from the brand to Doctor Hammond. Yeah. So, this is the mastermind behind all of that, right? Like, you see his passion, and I think you can see that passion in a lot of the brand. Uh, because the, he he has this set mindset of, I want every everything to be perfect. Y- you've done the great impression of him multiple times. Sped, no expense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and we see that, right? Like, at the very beginning when they kind of, he's got the the video up there, and he pricks the finger. Yeah. And, uh, ouch, that hurt, John. Yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of funny, but like, to me, when I looked at this, I almost thought his passion overtook him too much Mm. and he lost sight of, you know, what was, you know, a potentially really good idea or really, you know, creative, innovative idea. Yeah, And you see like, he's probably you know, had soon was going to have money issues. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. The park doesn't go off as, as they would like. So he's probably going to rebuild everything. Uh, he's already bought and, you know, purchased so many things. Insurance is an issue. He's got inspectors coming, uh, not to mention probably more important than anything else. Like he's going through a divorce that they talk about. Yeah. So he is now lost his family. And I mean, he's an older dude, like they're probably together for quite a while. Yeah, and like his passion for dinosaurs or for this park, like just over overtook him. And like you see, it was, it was really evident when they're sitting at the dinner table after they've been there, and he's kind of going around, and uh, you've got uh, what was the. The
0: guy's name? Uh, Malcolm. The Yeah. Uh, Dr. Grant. You've got Dr. Grant there. You've got... Um, so, so Malcolm, like yeah. the,
1: the kind of the cool guy at yeah, the yeah. table.
0: Uh, Ian, Ian Malcolm, I yeah. think. Yeah.
1: So he kind of, he brings up and he talks through... Well, we You mentioned his quote earlier when we were just chatting beforehand.
0: Oh, how, how life finds a way and all that sort of stuff? No, the other one. Oh, oh yeah. So, because um, Dr. Hammond, he's... or. Yeah, John Hammond, he's asking for everybody's opinion and all this sort of stuff. And then um, Ian goes, you know, the, the amount of – the lack of humility that you have for, for nature is, like, astounding. And then he, he riffs on, you know, the fact that Hammond and his team have gone further than anybody else has gone, but they didn't stop to think about whether they should yeah. just because they could.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, so I found that, at the, like, the full quote here, you got the gist of everybody. it, he says, Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah. And I think, like, to me, that was kind of a moment of, holy cow, like, this dude has spent time, money, life, and lost a lot. Yeah. In order to pursue this passion. And is it worth it? Did he ever stop to think, is it worth it? And I think it's pretty evident that he didn't. From the fact that he he kind of makes the comment as he looks around the table. He's like, I brought you doctors in here. And you're not on my side. The only person on my side at this table is the lawyer. Yeah. And this is after, like in the initial part of the movie, there's an inspector coming. And one of Hammond's workers says... Uh, Dr. Hammond hates inspectors they just slow things down yeah so like you you clearly see in like this passion is negatively affecting him and like I I wanted to to think about this and and talk about this how many times in society are we always like follow your passion your passion Mm -hmm. like go after your passion do whatever it takes to go after your passion yeah and how many times do we ever stop and think, okay, am I pointed in the right direction? Is my passion something that's good for me, good for society, good for my family? Or is it just something that I think is a really great idea?
0: Yeah. Um, I'd say that probably happens way too too much. Um, I think the thing that is missing, because I, I I'm... I am a believer that, you know, if people are passionate about something that they should pursue it and, you know, they, they they should try, you know, to the best of their ability to get whatever it is they're in pursuit of as long as it's legal and, you know, good good for them and good for society and all that kind of stuff. But I think even when that's the case, sometimes people are still so focused on, on reaching the goal that they forget about everything else around them. And so it's like passion without perspective. and Wait, wait, wait. Can you repeat that one more time? It's passion without perspective. That's where it becomes dangerous. That's where it becomes detrimental because you are running so fast in one direction and so hard in one direction that you have almost – you get to a point where you have no regard for the environment around you that you're running through like a bull in the china shop. And that's what we see with Dr. Hammond. You know, he is at every turn done whatever he needed to do to continue moving the process forward. Even when, you know, the, the, I, I forget, it. it's one person who dies. I think it's the lawyer that dies. And uh, Hammond and um, Dr. Sattler are having a conversation. And he's already talking about how he can improve it next time or how they'll be better. And, and, and she's like, you don't get it. Like, and she says, you know, even even she was in awe of this park, but she didn't respect it enough. You know, she, she even lost perspective getting caught up in somebody else's passion. Yeah. Like that's – think about that. You, you can lose your own perspective getting caught up in somebody else's passion. That's
1: – Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I think that's great. And like Hammond had all of the things in place to bring – His passion into check and I don't mean stop the pursuit but just to check it for a minute yeah and say okay maybe I haven't thought out this maybe I haven't given enough time to the what ifs so maybe let's let's dial it back let's not open the park next week let's make let's go through our safety protocols let's go through everything one more time and make sure that we've got everything in place because he brought in the paleontologist He brought in the lawyers, he brought in the inspectors, but at every turn, everything they said, he just like pushed aside and found the good things that they would say yeah, and then pushed those forward. So again, I don't want anyone to think that the Dropping Paradigms podcast is
0: telling them not to follow their passion. We are not doing that at all. What we are doing
1: and what I think, like, or not what I think, but I know this paradigm that we're trying to drop right now is that make sure you have perspective when you're following your passion.
0: Yep, 100%.
1: And have those people around you that are going to help you have that perspective. Find those people. Find that person that is the naysayer and talk to them. You know, not everything they say is going to be worthwhile, but at least hear them out and maybe you can find that you know, nugget of good information that they're going to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and that's a great thing to do to, to be able to have people that are around you that aren't going to try to destroy your passion, but they are going to help you to make sure that you're pursuing your passion responsibly. And, and with that perspective that we're talking about, Uh, it'd be like if, my son told me he wanted to be a race car driver and i said cool let's get behind the car or let's 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 get behind the wheel i i I know you're only 10 years old i mean
1: i think you should get him behind the car first make him push it
0: like (laughs) like the the, the the danielson the kid learn how to drive yeah yeah yeah. i like that (laughs) um but it'd be like me me getting him behind the wheel at 10 years old and being like hey you got it no no you're doing great you're doing great I, i i know you can't reach the pedals i know you can't see over the steering wheel but just go you're gonna get it, like you're, you've got your hands on the wheel. So it's it's not that. It's just making sure that if my son tells me he wants to be a race car driver, I say, "Great. This is some things that I think that you should maybe consider if you want to be a race car driver. Do you know how to drive yet? No. Okay. Maybe you should learn how to drive first, and then you know, whatever else." is entailed in being a race car driver. I don't really know that much about being a race car driver. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I think you're
1: right. Like just having someone to help you make sure that you are doing the right steps to get after that passion and that you're not just running blindly in a direction with no checks and balances. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, so that kind of leads me to my next uh, paradigm and like because of this passion and because of everything that's happened as we go through the movie, right, so they get put in the Jeeps, the awesomely branded Jeeps, Yep. which, like, admittedly, they are pretty cool. The yellow, yeah, yeah, they do look sick. First of all, the Wranglers that are, like, kind of the grayish-tan kind of color with the red Jurassic Park. Yeah. And then when they're in the park, they've got the yellow and, and green, like, Explorers. Yeah. Uh, those are pretty sweet. Uh, but as they're in there, you know, going along, and then the storm comes, and everything just seems to be, you know, going wrong. And then you have the... The Nedry character, which you have you seen, surely you've seen like the Nedry memes. Yeah. Where so he's like, and the so sorry to backtrack a little bit, but when uh, Nedry is going to kind of conspire against Dr. Hammond and, and Jurassic Park and steal some of the embryos, and he has the the guy come up when he's sitting at the the table, <laughs> and he's like Dodgson, Dodgson. Dodson, Dodson, like, don't use my name, don't say my name. He's like, no, no, no. Dodson, Dodson See, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that meme is great, used multiple times. But what what I see is because Hammond is so passionate about everything, he misses or he has an inability to make appropriate decisions. Yeah. So literally everything has gone wrong. The storm is happening, they can't get the people back. Nedri has left to go sell the embryos. He later dies with a Velociraptor. But, like, all of the systems get locked down because they, again, had one dude in charge of everything. Yeah. So, back to pursuing your passion and having some perspective. Somebody probably should have been there to tell them, like, hey, you need more than one person. Yep. Especially a character that has money issues. Yeah. And you don't seem to care about. So, everything's gone wrong and now they face a decision. They have two choices. One, they can shut everything down and restart the system, like, reboot the system. So that means, like, even though there are people that are not back in the building, they're going to shut the cages down, they're going to have Velociraptors and Tyrannosaurus Rexes, like, freely move about this uh, park. Yeah. Or they can go to what they call the uh, Lysine Protocol.
0: The Lysine Protocol.
1: This will, uh, like, take away uh, what is the...
0: It's like they can't generate like the amino acid. Yeah, lysine. the lysine
1: cell. I, it's science. Yeah. I don't even know if it's real.
0: They slip into a coma and die. Yeah, according to Samuel Jackson.
1: Bottom line, yeah, they're gonna yeah. die, right? And so immediately, his answer is, "Well, we can't do that." Yeah. But like, why? So I started thinking about this. Like, you've got decision making. He's essentially in his mind, Wang risk and reward. Yeah. Which is, like, if you get into uh, psychology and and kind of sociology as a whole, like, a lot of decisions we make are all, almost all based on risk and reward. So, is it safe to, like, do I cross the street now? Well, there's no cars, probably not going to get hit, so I'm going to cross the street now. Yeah. Simple as that. But what I think Dr. Hammond runs into is some uh, framing effects. Okay. So, one kind of thing that I, I, I looked at was this framing effect. It's called the prospect theory. And so it encum- encompasses like two distinct phases of kind of decision making. And the first one is an editing phase. Okay. So he sees the problem, right? Like we can't get the systems back up. Like the dinosaurs are probably going to kind of run loose. We got to get all these people back okay, I am going to now edit out the fact that I don't want to kill them, I can't kill them, so my only choice now is to reset. But what he's also editing out when he's doing that is he's editing out the fact that neither one of these decisions is going to make the park open any sooner. True. Because all of the damage has already been done. So his decision right now is really rescuing of the people. Yeah. It is not saving the park, but he edits that out Yeah, because of his passion. The next phase is going to be that evaluation phase. So he's already edited the fact out that it's not the, the park I'm trying to save. It's the dinosaurs because I know everything's going to be fine. So I need to evaluate. I don't want to kill the dinosaurs. I need to shut everything down. It'll all come back up and we'll be fine. Yeah. Well, what this like is called within um, this theory is pseudo-certainty. And I think a lot of these things, you're probably... Like, I don't expect anyone to remember framing effects or prospect theory. But what I want you to take away really is the pseudo-certainty. And it what it says is humans have a tendency to believe that we have more control over future events than we really do. And that the future is more predictable than it really is.
0: Ooh. I like that one. So, in other words...
1: It gives us this illusion of control. So in this case, what I saw and what I thought about was you've got this guy who has a passion, who really wants to open this park, and he is certain that all they have to do is reboot the system and everything will go back to normal. Yeah. Because he has all of these flawed decision-making ideas in his mind. So how do we overcome this and how do we get pseudo certainty out of our culture that we're trying to build when it comes to making decisions for what's best for your group, what's best for your family, what's best for you?
0: Ooh, that's a doozy. So... Um can can you read the, the definition of the pseudo certainty again? Yep. So
1: it says that humans have a tendency to believe that we have more control over future events than we really do, and that the future is more predictable than it really is.
0: Okay. So with that definition in mind, I think maybe the first thing to do is Challenge what it is that you think you have control over, which is going to be a very difficult thing because I think by nature, we want to be in control of many things. I don't want somebody to tell me what, I, what I'm what i wearing today. I want to pick what I want to wear. I don't want somebody to tell me what I have to eat. I want to have control over what I want to eat. Um, you know, So many, so many things throughout the, throughout the day that we want to have control over or that maybe we feel like we need to have control over. Particularly like if you're a parent and you have children you're like, I I have a certain level of control that I need to have in, in my household or wherever the case is. I think that's the first one, is you have to start to challenge what it is that you think you have control over versus what it is you actually have control over. So what are some things that we think we have control over? Um, how fast we're going to arrive to work or how long it's going to take for this person to forgive us. Um, How quickly our kids are going to learn their ABCs. Uh, Really, I think anything almost time-based, we could argue that we don't really have a lot of control over that. Uh, Versus what are some things we do have control over? Our Everyday attitude, um, our level of energy that we bring into a room, the words that come out of our mouth. These are the things we do have control over that we that we know we have control over, and so I think it's 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 challenging the notion that you have control, and then starting to walk that back to what you legitimately have control over and I think if 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 we all really just looked at it from that perspective and and understood that probably in reality we control very little things very or very few things in our in our lives or within our sphere of influence I think that would lead to I mean a lot of things you you probably have a lot less stressed out people because you can you control what you can control and what you can't. You just gotta let it go. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that for a second. What are your thoughts? So, I, I I think you're you're
1: onto something, right? Like worrying about the things you can control, and in this case, like Doctor Hammond, like he he needed to understand that the control that he actually had was not in shutting off the systems, it was stopping the threat. Yeah. Because like the systems were not going to keep the people safe and necessarily get them back. It was, you had to get rid of the threat. And I think part of, uh, thinking about the things that you can't control is understanding of the substance of the decisions that you're trying to make. So for him, It was like he just saw it as the dinosaurs are gonna die and I can't open the park. When it's really I've got to I've got to get these people back. I've got to keep them safe because two of them are my grandchildren. So I have to sacrifice this other, I have to sacrifice these animals, these dinosaurs, so that I can bring them back. And I think for me, a lot of times as you talk about you know, family. You talk about uh, culture, the work, relationships. You have to understand. You have to reframe the problem, like we talked about last week, potentially. Yeah. And make sure that you first understand the problem, and then you understand. Then you start to look at you know what what do I actually have control over, and then what are the decisions I can make. Yeah. And do those decisions actually get after the root cause of that problem? Like we talked about last week. Yeah. And I think if he would have stopped and done that and gotten rid of, like understood the bias. So if you, a lot of places always talk about decision bias and we all have biases. And I think that's 100% true. But in this case, like, I think the bias is even more difficult to recognize because in your mind, like you're certain of these things. Yeah. And you don't know, you don't even necessarily know that you think you're certain of them. You just are certain of them. So that's why you've got to kind of reframe and you need to understand the substance of the decisions. So like if you just shut down the systems, he can't guarantee that they're going to come back up, but what he can guarantee is the lysine protocol would change that. Yeah. So you talk about arriving to your work on time. You can't guarantee that traffic won't happen. Right. But if you leave for work and you have a 10-minute drive without traffic and you leave at 10-minute mark before you need to be at work, you're probably going to be late some days. Yeah. But if you leave earlier, right, the substance of that decision, Yeah. then you will be fine. Even though you are pseudo-certain that there's going to be no traffic
0: today. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You can't control someone having a wreck right in front of you now that doesn't change things right that could still happen and you could leave a half hour early and still be late to work like that's not what we're saying a very simplified uh, kind of idea but what I want to like bring out and the dime that I really want people to understand is that we sometimes are so sure of what the outcome is going to be if we make this decision that we forget to stop Frame the problem correctly, understand the substance of those decisions, and then move forward. And in this case, Dr. Hammond, in two cases, one following his passion and two decision-making, had people around him telling him, you know, helping him make decisions, giving him good advice, and he didn't listen. And I think that was like, I don't know about you, but going back and watching these movies kind of with this lens and this perspective, like I, I saw myself like getting frustrated at him. Yeah, I was yeah. like dude like stop what you're doing yeah. like you have people telling you what to do and you just you can't get it because you're so certain and because you're blinded by your passion so those two yeah. things like don't be Dr. Hammond in your you have passion without perspective and that you are pseudo certain of you know what the outcome is going to be because you think you have all of the, the information that is necessary
0: yeah Cool. Let's see if I can make this into an alliteration. I think that's the right word when you use phrases that start with the same letter. So let's say, passion without perspective leads to pseudo-certainty and a lack of purposeful decision-making. Boom. Mic drop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, I love it. I don't think... It was quite a perfect alliteration. It was not, were not. It was not. Don't things. worry
0: about it. Let's not go back in the past. Let's let's not talk about that <laughs> yeah. part of it.
1: No, but if, thanks for, uh, I guess, going along with my Jurassic Park pick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for this. I thought it was an interesting one. Uh, well, a movie I hadn't seen in a real long time. Yeah. Going back to the, the CGI, getting the John Williams uh, soundtrack again, hearing those uh, roars from the T-Rex, remembering... My childhood Jurassic Park toys.
0: Another good episode for sure. Yeah. So
1: thanks for helping flip the script and uh, dropping the dimes today.
0: Yeah. What dimes do you guys have in your everyday lives or in the things that you're watching, reading, or listening to? See ya. See ya.